Hello, this is Jonathan, and I'm working on an article that I think I'm going to entitle something like How I Quantify Risk as a Biohacker. Or maybe I'll entitle it something like Being Risk-Seeking is Anti-Fragile. I'm not sure yet. I guess, <laughs> I guess you'll know by the time you're looking at this. I'll preface this podcast by giving that dorky disclaimer that I give at the end of all my podcasts, which is that this is not medical advice. I am an unlicensed unlicensed biohacker. This is a podcast for entertainment purposes only. If you're making really serious decisions about your health, you know, what you can do is you can take my opinions and you can take my experiences that I'm describing here and you can use that information in combination with doing your own research and then take that research to your doctor or your licensed medical professional and get their opinion. And then really what you should try to do is also get a second opinion and maybe a third opinion from a licensed medical professional and you know not just rely on my opinions because again I am not a medical professional I'm just a lay person who has researched these things you know real real detailed real seriously the past couple of couple of years and these are my opinions I hope they entertain you recently I've been researching some nootropics that you may not have heard of before like bromantane, serabroslin, cortexin, latistan, mildrenate, etc. I'll go on. I'll tell you. I'll tell you more later. And these are from a interesting new vendor that I vetted which is nootropicspot.com and you can check out their website and see a number of nootropics and performance enhancers that are maybe a bit foreign to you. To me, at least, these are European exotics. So they are all uh, branded and manufactured in either Russia or different European countries. And I'll explain a little later why this is appealing to me as a veteran nootropics user. So full disclosure, I have a mutually beneficial relationship with nootropicspot.com. Almost weekly, I'm solicited by vendors, manufacturers, and marketers of various biohacking products, and about 80% of them don't exhibit the basic indicators of credibility of someone who I would like to buy things from that may alter my brain chemistry. And I'll encourage you to check out the article that I linked to on what the indicators of credibility are that I look for. In the case of Nootropic Spot, it's, uh, there's a real person behind the company, this guy, Sergey, who seems to be a nice fellow. Uh, they are very easy to get in touch with. They have a solid refund policy and their pricing is quite competitive. As biohackers, we have a bit of a weak spot for novelty, especially pharmacological novelty. Smart drugs that might work a little different than the things we've tried before that might work better. However, 
pharmacological novelty is not always good and it is not for everyone. Amongst biohackers, there's a spectrum of risk tolerance. Similarly, amongst nootropics and performance enhancers, there's a spectrum of risk profiles. Not all nootropics are equally safe and benign. Some are safe and benign, but some are, uh, some are not. In this article, I'm going to grade some of nootropicspot.com's article or products by what I assess is their risk profile, and I'm going to grade them from A plus to F, kind of like the marks that you got in school. As a smart consumer, you should know that when you go to a, an e-commerce store, whether it's selling nootropics or, uh, I don't know, fishing gear, you should know that they are going to tell you the good things about whatever is being sold. And in this article, I'm going to assess the potential risks as well. So I'm gonna focus probably a bit more on actually the, the downsides as opposed to the upsides, because again, I'm assessing risk here. So I'll encourage you to, if, if, you, if some of these things do interest you, if you're doing your research on some of these drugs, Go and look at their pages on nootropicspot.com or uh, if, if I have articles about them on Limitless Mindset where I'm meta-analyzing and looking at the studies and the, the potential upsides, features, benefits, etc., I'll, I'll have those there. But this, this article is focused a bit more on, uh, on, on risk, uh, which I'll make the case here is not necessarily negative. So on my risk philosophy. Some biohackers are very risk averse, like Justin, who I interviewed, and he's the mind behind the very popular anti-aging forum, Longevity. Check out that interview. However, I'm more risk-seeking or anti-fragile as a biohacker. And this is not because I'm reckless and want to treat my neurobiology like an amusement park, I have some quite rational reasons for seeking risk. So first of all, when it comes to nootropics, the upside is so great and the downside is relatively minimal. The sky is the limit with the potential upside of nootropics. Whereas the downside risk is very minimal or at least relatively minimal. I'll make an example out of this. For example, one of my favorite smart drugs you guys already know is nicotine, but I can't really say that nicotine is a risk-free drug. Some studies have indicated a weak carcinogenic effect from nicotine, although this is debated, and some researchers say that nicotine alone is non-carcinogenic and as safe as, say, caffeine, possibly more safe than caffeine. However, even given that possibility of risk, I will continue to use nicotine because the upside of nicotine is tremendous. I get paid to do creative work and nicotine is the best stimulator of creativity that I found out of the over 80 different smart drugs that I've used. As an entrepreneur, nicotine is, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, and as an entrepreneur, nicotine is like a employee that appreciably increases the productivity of my small business who I don't have to train, I don't have to manage, and who only demands a salary of 
you know, less than $10 a month. Go go and check out the nicotine source of mine. It's, it's extremely affordable. To me, at least, the minimal cancer risk that it may have is offset by its upside. Since I make more money, I can afford other good supplements, good food, and good lifestyle habits that significantly mitigate the overall cancer risk. And since I make more money, if I get sick, I'm, I'm more confident that I can that I can afford it. And what I did actually is I put together an infographic. Actually, I should have two infographics to kind of illustrate that upside downside uh, risk factor that I'm talking about. Conversely, much of our lifestyle, much of our other lifestyle and consumption habits have a limited upside and either limited downsides, also similarly upside, up and downsides, or they have a limited upside and a significant downside. For example, my avocado salad is, it's not exactly a performance enhancer, you know, it's kind of a relatively tasty, relatively healthy meal that's gonna, relatively affordable meal that's gonna power me through, you know, half my day. Uh, so that's uh, maybe not the best example. That's something that has uh, limited upside and also limited downside. It's not really moving the needle much either way. But let's think of someone that eats a more average or a standard American diet that is consisting of uh, you know carbs like sugary snack food and then fried food along you know some fried meat just you know some junk food some uh you know fast fast food you know some uh fake organic food that has that that fake like organic branded food that's not really organic that has you know uh it has like a person doing yoga on the packaging but actually it has like 12 grams of sugar in it that kind of crap and with uh, this kind of diet, there's barely any there's barely any upside to this diet. What it does is it just barely assuages your hunger. It gives you a full feeling, and then the downside is that it causes uh, spikes in blood sugar that drive you to eat every few hours. And the long side, the long term downsides of this kind of diet are heart disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, and ultimately death. So the downsides in the long term are, uh, they're significant, they're huge, but the upsides are, uh, boy, really almost non-existent. Okay, so every day we are swimming in a sea of biological risk. For example, a couple of nights ago, my girlfriend surprised me by buying me dinner at a restaurant I had never visited before, and we tried a delicacy from her culture that I could not pronounce <laughs> for the life of me. And then uh, last weekend, I went hiking in the mountains and shot a video there about Taoist breathing, and then I spent about 45 minutes going home in a really packed bus, uh, you know, just sardined in there with... Uh, a bunch of other people through uh, a pretty impoverished part of the of the country and you know the whole time when I'm in this when I'm in this bus with oh geez like 50 other people I was just thinking about 
who the hell knows what kind of pathogens I'm exposing to myself to here. And, you know, when I'm trying interesting delicacies of different cultures and in restaurants I've never been to, and I can't even pronounce the names of them, who the hell knows what kind of pathogens I'm exposing myself to. So we consume things all day, every day that may be toxic. So what I do is I consume nootropics almost every day that feed my mitochondria. That's one of the core functions of nootropics to fight those toxins, to empower the natural filtering systems of the body to get rid of those toxins. And so, you know, it may be a small proportion of those nootropics have a very minimal toxicity or a negative side effect, but the upside benefit drastically outweighs this. And as you guys know, what I do is I almost always consume products that have a uh, spectroscopy report, a COA done, where they're ensuring that the toxicity is within, you know, some very minimal uh, parts per million, something that's uh, extremely manageable for my body to filter out. Then thirdly, I'll suggest that amongst biohackers, there's something of a barbell of biohacking risk tolerance. And you may want to, again, check out the article I did about this because I get to create visual representations of some of these principles because they may not be best described over a podcast. So like a barbell, the majority of the biohackers with the higher risk tolerance are going to be on the far right and the far left side of the barbell. On the far left side is going to be biohackers like me who are younger, who eat a healthy diet. We have a quite resilient biology thanks to our good habits and a general healthy lifestyle. And we have more disposable income to spend on our health. If we do something that hurts our health, we have the time and resources to correct it. On the far right, on the other side of the barbell is mostly elderly people who have chronic diseases and these people desperately need nootropics or anti-aging drugs. Without them, their minds will deteriorate and their quality of life will decline badly. When the alternative is quite literally losing your mind and just being a burden to those around you or death, no side effect of nootropic drugs could be worse, right? So they have really nothing to lose. In the middle of the barbell is all of the kind of lay biohackers, people who have just a little time and money to spend on their health. They can't do a lot of experimenting. They need to devote their limited time and resources to biohacks that work very consistently. So these are the people that should be exercising, meditating, eating a disciplined diet, sleep hacking, along with supplementing fish oil, vitamins, and adaptogens, and things like the uh, perhaps the, the racetams. Uh, but they, they want to stay far away from things that are uh, a little bit more risky, a little bit more experimental, or a little bit more expensive. They just can't really afford to take chances. And so if you fall into that middle, then yeah, you're going to want to be a bit more conservative. But if you're someone who has uh, some attributes similar to myself, or again, if you have 
nothing to lose and you're facing certain cognitive decline, then your risk profile is going to be a whole lot a lot higher. And then I'll also mention that, you know, I started using nootropics five years ago and I really have made quite tremendous progress towards being the best version of myself during that time. And I really have done a ton of nootropics during that time. I've used at least 80 different kinds and well, you know what, I've probably used more than 80, but that's just the ones that I've recorded the results. And I've got to say, after five years and doing a lot of different things, there's been very, very few incidences of negative side effects. And when there was negative side effects, they were they were very small things. So it's it's really been uh, just tremendous upside with with virtually no downside for for me at least for me at least. And then I'll mention finally, you know, I spend probably oh probably between like five to ten hours a week going and perusing anecdotal information, anecdotal reports and uh, testimonials and things like that that other people are putting out there about these smart drugs uh, you know going on forums and that sort of thing and the incidences again of really negative side effects are there it's pretty rare and you'll recall I did my research on the different bear pharmace pharmaceutical products that they have and I went and did some I went I went and looked at a lot of reports that people were putting out on YouTube or whatnot about different bear products and some of the side effects people are reporting are just god awful horrific uh, it's it's quite extraordinary and you say wow like these people really are just selling total poison and it's total total contrast to the nootropics and the the biohacking stuff where the negative side effects are people reporting things like Oh, you know, maybe I got a little bit of a headache, a little bit overstimulated, and then, uh, or, you know, maybe I had trouble sleeping. Like, that's the vast majority of the negative, negative side effects you hear from people. So those are my reasons for being a risk-seeking or anti-fragile biohacker. I, I use that great word, anti-fragile, because in Nassim Taleb's book, he talks about how things that are anti-fragile, whether it's, you know, like a, a, a person, whether it's a, an organization, a company, a, a technology, whatever, how things who are anti-fragile, uh, they are things that they, they, uh, uh, that they like or they gravitate or they utilize um, modalities, tools, whatever, that have uh, significant upside risk, where the upside is like sky's the limit, and then the downside is like, you know, a tiny, uh, is like a tiny, insignificant, relatively insignificant downside, and how that's a, uh, that's a significant identifying attribute of things that are anti-fragile and I would suggest that doing things like doing things like nootropics over time it's going to make your biology significantly more anti-fragile whereas if you're a person that you know you're just going to uh, practice you know these very benign 
if you're really, really afraid of risk, the things that, if you're really, really afraid of risk, the things, that, the healthy habits that you do are going to, uh, they're not going to prevent really long-term, uh, some of these really long-term heart disease and, and aging conditions. Whereas if your risk tolerance is just a little bit higher, you're going to be, you're going to be preventing some of these uh, inevitable causes of human decline. So those are, you know, those are my reasons for being a, a risk-seeking biohacker. Perhaps they'll change, you know, perhaps my perspective will, will change how you manage risk as a biohacker. And next, what I'd like to do is I'm going to rank the various exotic European nootropics. So I'll start with risk grade A. And I'm going to encourage you to check out this blog post on my website because I'm going to be updating this from time to time. I'm going to be going through here and adding new products to this. And as new information comes up that changes how I view the risk of different products, I will, uh, I will, I will update that. Whereas, you know, this podcast, uh, you know, is set, set, in so set, set in stone. And unfortunately, there's no way for me to update it as time goes on. But who knows if people really like this, maybe I'll do more more content on uh, methodology for quantifying risk. So uh, first of all, risk grade A. So this is, you know, the best, the best. And no surprise, I'm going to grade paracetam as having an A grade. And it has 235 clinical trials, uh, which... Uh, an impressive 31 of those were done in the last 10 years alone. It has a 20-year-long population study that was conducted in France. And Prastam is quite possibly the most popular smart drug. It's been used by millions of people, and you can find thousands of biohackers online reporting their experiences with it. Because of the vast amounts of anecdotal data about Paracetam, we know that the most commonly reported side effect is a headache from a lack of choline supplemented along with the paracetam. And uh, that's, that's really what you hear most commonly. Numerous studies have evaluated its use and determined it safe for children. Uh, because it's such a popular unpatented drug, it's produced by hundreds of laboratories all around the world. There's a spectrum of quality. You can buy unbranded generic paracetam powder very cheaply by the kilo, but the quality is suspect. <clears throat> so I only buy or consume powdered paracetam if an accredited American lab has verified it to be over 97% purity with uh, spectroscopy. And I'll also mention that paracetam only works for about 80% of the people who use it. A, min a minority of the people have a, uh, what's called an aldosterone deficiency, and they won't experience the long-term or short-term benefits of the drugs. In a lot of cases, this can be fixed. I created what's called the, the paracetam protocol to, to fix this issue, but sometimes it doesn't work. So honestly, paracetam is not for everyone. That's why I grade it an A. 
Next is phenylpyrazotam, which I'll give an A minus. And this has six clinical trials. Phenylpyrazotam is regarded amongst biohackers as one of the best smart drugs. It's molecularly very similar to paracetam. It was created in 1983 behind the Iron Curtain for Soviet cosmonauts. So it's one of these smart drugs that's been to space and back. It has a handful of clinical trials. A few of them uh, recent, all of them are Russian. Online, you can find many veteran biohackers really highly praising it. One biohacker took phenylparastam for three months and reported, quote, when I started phenylparastam, I had some bad side effects from it. I tried two different online sources of powdered phenylparacetam. They are not the most popular sources, but they are still well-known sources. And after a few days of uses, I would get strange chest pain and had difficulty breathing. I almost discontinued my usage of this nootropic until I decided to use the original branded phenylparacetam called phenotropil. And that's what nootropicspot.com carries. This is the one I have been using for the past three months. And I haven't experienced any side effects from it. The only negative side effect reported consistently about it is coline headaches. If you dose too much without supplementing an ACH precursor. Unfortunately, it doesn't get a higher grade because of the relative lack of clinical <clears throat> trials done on phenylparacetam at labs and universities around the world. But I still say A- minus because it's, a, it's such a popular nootropic and it's so highly praised and it is molecularly very similar to paracetam, which is, which is so safe. So moving on, there is Nupept, which I gave a B. And Nupept has a has just three clinical trials. So the racetams are noted for their virtually non-existent toxicity. It's a molecularly very similar to it in the same category of the very well-tolerated racetams. Thousands of savvy biohackers have reported their experiences with it, and there's a real lack of undesirable side effects, but I just don't think it deserves an A because there's only three clinical trials uh, rigorously evaluating Nupept in humans. So it's, 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 uh, there's a lack of, of uh, you know, research that's been done there, although clinical, clinical trials are, are significant. I'll move on to CMAX, which I also graded a B. So it has three clinical trials. They were all done in Russia, but none of them were placebo controlled. And okay, so uh, it's a BDNF mediated long-term memory promoter that you take nasally. And approximately 15% of users who wrote biohacker reports online reported uh, pretty tame negative side effects like lack of motivation, tiredness, slowness, lethargy, irritability, or moodiness. This is from a Russian study of 187 patients. CMAX treated 
CBEX treatment resulted in significant clinical improvement, stabilization of the disease progress, and reduced a risk of stroke and transitory ischemic attacks in the disease course. The drug is featured by minor percent of side effects and is well tolerated by patients, including those of older age groups. One researcher reported, as the research profile is extremely good, the LD50, which is the dose at which 50% of the test animals die, is undeterminable. The, this means that in spite of increasing the dose hundreds of times, the therapeutic dose of none of the animals died. Hence, you find that the dosage for every indication is quite flexible. And uh, strangely, this is, a, this is a downside. There appears to be, so that's a positive obviously from the researcher, but strangely, there appears to be a correlation between hair loss and CMAX usage. That's right. So if you really care about your hair, you may want to pass on CMAX. That's right. If uh, going and going through all the threads and some of the Reddit discussions, there, there seems to be a connection that people are drawing in between the BDNF mechanism and, and hair loss. And I used it myself. I certainly did not notice any hair loss, but uh, then again, I only used it for about 10 days. So even though this drug has been around for a while, you can find uh, studies on, on PebMed, I feel like it's lacking kind of a breadth and quality of clinical trials. Although uh, what you can find that kind of balances this out is it's quite popular amongst the biohacker community. You can find like hundreds of different people that have used it and uh, it's overall really quite positive with the exception of you know, some people that are saying that there's uh, some some mood-based negative side effects. But, you know, uh, thinking about this again, I think I'm going to downgrade it to a B- minus because there's just there's just not enough research done in the West on it. So C-Max gets a B-. minus. Next drug is Fabomotizol. I'm, I'm just going to call that Fabo, which I think is also a name of a rapper whose music I liked, I used to like to listen to. Okay, and Fabo has got five clinical trials, and all of them are Russian, the most recent of which is what I would consider to actually be a high-quality human study encompassing 100 patients that were given it. And it's a relatively younger drug. It was invented in the early 2000s, and from the high-quality 2016 study that I mentioned, there were a total of 15 out of 109. The total of 15 adverse effects out of 199 people in the group, right? Or actually, there was two groups. There was a group using Fabo, and then there was a group using uh, Diazepam because it was comparing the two. And there was a grand total of 15. No manifestations of FABO withdrawal symptom were found. FABO is an effective is an effective and safe to treat patients with uh, GAD and AD. I think that's uh, generalized anxiety disorder and then just anxiety disorder. And 
non-inferior, non-inferior. Some of these Russian translations, they come up with really funny, funny words. Non-inferior and non-inferior than diazepam in the treatment of these disorders. However, in However, it is superior in terms of several variables, including the safety profile. And so they liked it quite a bit more. It's not as popular as, say, the racetams or other gobergic drugs. So there's not a significant amount of good biohacker reports about it. Although amongst the ones out there on Longevity and Reddit, I came across no reports of egregious side effects. It's a safer alternative to diazepam or Valium, which is the benzodiazepine-based tranquilizer. So this, this one's a gobergic, and gobergics traditionally have some risk to them because they work on your, your GABA receptors uh, in kind of the same way that alcohol can, which can create kind of this supply and demand problem with the receptor which long-term usage of can create uh, some some nasty addiction addi addictive properties which is why phenobute for example can be so addictive uh, but in, in the case of fabo i just didn't come across anyone really reporting that and none of these studies were reporting withdrawal issues so with this one i don't have any major objectives to it um Although for me, it's still kind of on, it's on the border of a B minus and a, and a C. I'm, I may push it into being a, a C plus territory in the future, but I think right now it, has, it gets a B minus. I don't have any major objectives to it, but I just don't think it deserves a higher grade because the clinical research is limited to the Russosphere. Russosphere, as they say. The next one is Selenk, which I give that I give this one a B minus, and it has just three clinical trials. Like its cofactor CMAX, it has just a grand total of three clinical trials. All are from Russia, and none were placebo controlled. And from a 2016 Russian paper. Uh, that you can find the whole text of online. That's always nice when they publish the whole text online, isn't it? Quote, clinical studies have shown that the effect of Selenk is similar to that of tranquilizers at low doses, but not accompanied by the unwanted side effects of benzodiazepine tranquilizers. And I came across one very negative report of an anonymous biohacker of really bad side effects when combining CMAX and Selenk with NSI. So maybe, maybe don't combine those three. Okay. But other than that, other than that, the uh, people are, are overall quite positive about it, especially when combined with, with CMAX. It, it, it seems to be quite brilliant when combined with that. Moving on, let's talk about Mildronate. And this one I gave a B minus and it has 25 clinical trials, and some of those are recent placebo-controlled clinical trials. And all the clinical trials uh, are done in either Russia or China. The drug is apparently not on the radar of researchers in the Western world. And a recent Chinese study reported 
no adverse uh, effects were observed, and then a, a 2015 trial of 67 Russians agreed also that no side effects were registered during the course of the mildrenate treatment. You know, actually, in retrospect, I'm going to move this one up to be rated a B because that's 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 pretty good risk profile. I think I'm not going to give it a higher grade than that because, again, no studies throughout the rest of the world and there wasn't a tremendous amount of anecdotal uh, of good biohacker reports out there. And next I'll move on to Bromantane. Hey bro, have you tried Bromantane? This one I gave a B minus. It has eight clinical trials. There are 10 articles of human research in the past 10 years. A significant trial was published in 2010 and it was carried out in 28 different clinical centers and included data from over 700 Russians. And this one was developed in the 1970s in Russia. So it's been around for over 40 years and it's a highly praised smart drug by some very veteran biohackers, but I would expect it to be more studied internationally by now. This is this is a smart drug that I've heard from a couple people. They're like, wow, like this is this is kind of like modafinil, or some people have even compared it to my product, Kabaijo. And from the study, the good study that I mentioned, which was of 700 Russians, quote, adverse effects were observed only in 3% of patients. The therapy was discontinued in 0.08% of them. No serious adverse effects were found. So, hey, like that's that's not bad. Overall, that sounds pretty good. I think, I think I'm actually going to move this one up a little bit. I'm going to move it up and give it a B, a B risk grade because it has pretty good clinical trials done on it recently. Um, there's no one out there. there there's no prevalence of ne negative side effects reported. There's real positive side effects reported. But then again, I, I don't think it deserves higher because it's not a truly international smart drug as far as the research is considered. And then it... Uh, there's not it's 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 relatively uh i would say it's relatively undiscovered by the biohacker community also so there's a modicum of risk with bromantane but if you're a if you're a risky bro like i am hey why not bro okay <laughs> moving on to another drug that has the word bro in its in, in its name sarah broslin and <clears throat> i gave this one a lot of thought and I think I'm going to give it a B as a grade. So it has 67 clinical trials, which is kind of a lot. So around the internet, you can find numerous reports of younger, otherwise healthy biohackers who have used Cerebroslin as a performance-enhancing smart drug. This contrasts to the majority, the vast majority of the studies, which were done with elderly patients suffering from cognitive decline. Anti-aging drugs typically have a performance enhancing effect when taken by healthy people and in the case of Sarah Broslin, you can find veteran biohackers praising it as a quite effective smart drug. 
It is derived from the proteins of pig brains. That's right, which seems a little weird. You know, you got to wonder, could they not just synthesize it from, uh, could they not just synthesize the proteins? There's some, uh, this is a negative. This is a a significant negative. There's some well-reasoned objections to otherwise healthy people using it. So I could not categorize cerebroslin as a low-risk biohack that everybody or anybody should use. I will, uh, actually what I'll do, I'll link to my article where I go further in depth into the, into the objections that people have to it. It has to do with the, it has to do with these uh, alien uh, proteins that you're injecting when you, when you use it. Some people think that's not such a good idea. And I, I will, if you're considering cerebroslin, I will encourage you to check out that article. First, so its specific purpose is to treat diseases of cognitive decline. I would not recommend it to bio to new biohackers or to like people that are just looking for a study drug. And it is an injectable protein that really clum and you know really clumsy people should should not be using needles because if if you're a real dunce then. You, you might injure yourself with needles somehow. I'm, I'm sure it's been done before. Uh, so Sarah Breslin, it was first approved in 1954. Here's some positives. So it's not a newer drug uh, that we don't know like if it may or may not ca- cause cancer in its users after 10 years of dosing. It's been around long and long enough that the you know, some of those hidden long-term possible side effects that it may have, those would come out in the course of the time since it's been invented. Ultimately, though, I feel the risk is small with Cerberosin because it's produced and patented by a major Austrian pharmaceutical company. If they produced a, a drug that passed a pig pathogen, to their customers, they would face titanic lawsuits and a deluge of just brand sinking negative press. They would be out of business fast. You know, maybe even their executives would maybe even be in handcuffs. I I don't know what the laws are like in Austria, but it seems like one of those, one of those countries where they might, you know, put you in the, you know, put you, put you in jail if, if, if your company does something really bad. I did a bit more research on this and Google search, okay, I Google search Ever Pharma Sarah Brosman lawsuit, which produced no lawsuits involving Ever Pharma and Sarah Brosman. Then I thought, well, this is a Austrian company. So I searched Ever Pharma Sarah Brosman and Klage which is the German word for lawsuit and nothing interesting came up. And then I even Google translated a few articles. And finally, I searched Sarah Broslin and lawsuit and looked through, looked through the results. And this similarly yielded no lawsuits involving the drug. So it's a 60 year old drug with no lawsuits serious enough to have made it onto the internet. And hey, that's that's really not that bad. And compare this to paracetam, which is, it's an unpatented drug that's produced by 
hundreds of anonymous laboratories all over the world. And so in the case of in the case of, of Sarah Broslin, the financial incentives are really stacked for Everpharma to produce a a safe drug. So so this makes me think that it's probably that it's probably pretty safe, which is why I gave it I gave it a grade there in the in the B territory. But again, I just really don't think it deserves. It doesn't deserve an A. It's not it's not something that's for it's not a risk-free smart drug. Moving on, I want to mention Cortexin, which is quite similar to Sarah Broslin, uh, although it doesn't come from pig brains. It's synthesized in a very sterile environment, and according to a study that evaluated it in 45 patients, the drug was well tolerated, no side effects were observed. Okay, it is an injectable. It is an injectable drug, and it's been studied extensively in Russia, but lacks international studies that have been peer-reviewed and published in English for the public in like open journals. There's nowhere <clears throat> that you can find people, you know, that you can find uh, complete studies that are done on it. It's an injectable drug and really clumsy people should not be using needles. And as a negative, I, uh, a few biohackers out there have noted an undesirable side effect of persistent muscle fascination. So that's that's a little bit that's a little bit troubling. Although it's kind of it's kinda, I ultimately though I think I think cortexin is a little bit higher risk from Sarah Broslin because of its limited limited number of uh, clinical studies, limited number of studies done elsewhere in the world, studies that are not properly translated, and uh, lack of uh, studies that are open out there for the public. And it is something that you inject, and there's uh, yeah, there's this odd side effect of muscle vacillations. So I'm gonna give that I'm gonna, I'm gonna give that one a C plus. And then I'll do a final evaluation of a nootropic that's being sold by nootropicspot.com that I think deserves a D plus. So this one's down there in a lower, a lower risk category. And that is one of my all-time favorite drugs, which is Phenibute. And Phenibute, there's only four trials, four clinical trials done on them. None are recent, all are in Russian with limited or poor translations into English. And Phenibut is a very popular drug amongst biohackers and especially life hackers. And I am debatably responsible for making it, <laughs> for making it more popular. It gets a poor risk grade because it really is habit forming for a significant proportion or a significant minority of people that try it. It works on your GABA receptors in a way similar to alcohol. So if you have any personal or family history with alcohol addiction, Phenibut is a bad idea for you. On the other hand, I've used it myself for several years on and off. I'll use it like two or three times a week maximum and I've never had any problems or experienced any real negative side effects, but I don't have an addictive personality. If you're a disciplined person with uh, real healthy psychology, 
you'll be fine using Phenibute in moderation. It really is a great anti-anxiety agent. It's a quintessential social smart drug. Check out the very uh, long detailed video that I did on the social anxiety protocol. I explained Phenibute usage much more there. Similar to alcohol though, if you consume too much, you may act a little stupid, trip up a flight of, stay, of stairs, or have a hangover the next day. And if you make a daily habit out of Phenibut, you'll get hooked and experience some really unpleasant withdrawals if you run out of it. So I think <clears throat> it deserves to be in that D range of a little bit higher risk drugs. But with Phenibut, again, one of the reasons I like it, one of the reasons why I've talked about it really frequently, is it really is a quite effective social smart drug. And if a, a lot of people have social anxiety, and nowadays there's, oh boy, there's really a widespread phenomenon of people that kind of, that anxiety is just their normal operating state of going through life and they don't even really realize that they are highly anxious, that ang that anxiety is their baseline. And Phenibut is something that assuages, that assuages anxiety. It works really, really consistently. And for a lot of people that have anxiety issues, they can, they can start using Phenibut and they will, uh, and their anxiety will go away and they'll feel like they've got a, a, a brand new lease on life on life they'll you know they'll really feel like they're uh, the king of the world and then what, what they can do is they can start to practice some other good habits that address their anxiety in a more long-term way and then they can kind of wean themselves off of the phenibute and ultimately end up you know, transforming into much better versions of themselves because they used a bit more of a hardcore biohack. But there is risk with it. So that's why you wanna, you wanna take these, these things into account. So I will encourage you to actually go and check out this article because I'm gonna continue to add more products to this. This podcast is getting a bit long. I think you're familiar with my risk philosophy. And if you're considering some of the products that are for sale, if you're considering some of these exotic nootropics, go and check out this article and, and uh, see because I'm going to continue adding and evaluating the risk of different nootropics to it. Well, Again, I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and as always, I look forward to a continued conversation with you. Legal notices. If you or someone you know developed or created a concept, piece of content, or idea shared on this show, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com dot com so we can mention them in the show notes or provide a backlink we want to give credit where credit is due as a listener to the limitless mindset podcast we hope you have and practice common sense however since some of the content covered in this show deals with subjects of a health legal or business nature this show is for entertainment purposes
If you need recommendations of doctors, nutritionists, or attorneys to consult before making decisions that may have health or legal repercussions, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com.